From the One Fire Studio, welcome to the IMCA Peer-to-Peer Podcast, where we dive deep into technology, brand, social media, and other topics with an insurance industry expert. Let's welcome today's guest. Hi there, this is Jim Flynn from One Fire, along with my co-host, Natasha Super from SCORE. And it's our pleasure to welcome you to today's episode of the IMCA Peer-to-Peer Podcast. Our trifecta of guests today is Lorraine Jekylls, Greg Fetidis, and Guy Cornett from Free Partners. Free Partners is a London-based creative agency that specializes in the insurance sector. They help build outstanding brands and standout campaigns for ambitious insurance businesses in the UK and the US. Lorraine, Guy, and Greg are partners at Free. Lorraine is the managing partner as well as running the business. She leads the account management team and takes care of client experience. Greg is brand director. Coming from a copy background, he looks after strategy piece and focuses on positioning, value propositions, and messaging. And Guy is the creative director, establishing the creative vision. He oversees the entire creative process from ideas to execution at every touch point. Welcome, trifecta of guests today. Yay! Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for having yes. us. Jim. We are excited. Yeah, thank Lovely you. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, joining us. Yeah. That was, that was such oh, a good man. intro. Yeah, well, I I would like that in the morning every time I get up. That'd well, be great. you can, you know, as soon as this is uh, goes through post production, you could do that. You know, you could have it as like your, Fantastic. you know, your wake up alarm kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my yeah. wife. Gets yeah, that. well, probably. Like, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what? So, hey, you guys uh, are all from across the pond here, so it's late in your day. Um, tell us a little about uh, where you're from, where, 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 you, where you're hailing from today. So we are all in London, just um, in Borough, Borough Market, which is just by London Bridge and the city of London. So, you know, the insurance, we, we always we always ask people because this this is such an this is an odd industry. And I, I don't mean that, um, you know, disparaging to the industry, but it's it's an. People get into this business, the insurance business, in all sorts of ways, and I'm sure each of you have a a story about that. How did how did you get into uh, into the the insurance business? Yeah, so I mean, I knew very very little about the insurance industry, um, and um, I just knew I wanted to work in the creative field. I, I like coloring things in, you know. Um, my uh, dyslexia sort of pushed me in that sort of So you direction. colored outside of the lines. And you, you know it. You know it. Yeah. My, 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 my dad used to call it coloring in. So even, even at my wedding day to my wife, he introduced me as the color in Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I've, I've yet to escape it. But, yeah, we, um, you know, started off art college and then sort of built a, built a portfolio. Couldn't get it. The old sort of school thing about creativity is – can't get a job without a portfolio, but can't get a portfolio without jobs. So credit my embrace, sort of that, uh, you know, the sort of um, beginning of that started at junior creative uh, and then worked into uh, a studio manager role uh, and then worked across branding agencies, advertising agencies in the UK, in the Middle East, and then ran into free um, works with uh, Lorraine and the guys seven years ago, seven or eight years ago now. Um, and then haven't looked back since, mm. um, you know, been 
um, CD there, a lot grayer, but much, much happier. Uh, and obviously <laughs> I know a lot more about uh, insurance now. So. How about you, Greg? How did you uh, find your way into the insurance space? Well, I, I mean, I started out wanting to be a marine biologist, but um, uh, I get seasick. So uh, I went into advertising instead. I uh, started as a copywriter, mainstream agencies. I always had quite a strategic um, uh, vein running through my work. And so as my career advanced, I, I found you know, setting the strategy more interesting than you know, dramatizing it. Um, and so then I, I kind of bumped into, I got involved in a particular project for a, for a launch campaign uh, for one of Free's clients, then clients. Um, and that's where I met uh, Lorraine and Guy. And, and I thought, hang on, these guys are, uh, you know, not only because they're amazing, but actually this whole insurance space is pretty amazing. I mean, it was you guys first, right? I mean, it was you guys first. I, it took yeah, me, yeah, to, I, be, took to me, be clear. Yeah. Okay. Just so everybody knows. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be clear. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but it didn't take long for me to to just see how much how way more interesting uh, the the insurance world is than if you're just working on you know doing advertising for cars or airlines or consumer electronics right each of those is just one thing but insurance isn't one thing it's about everything um, you know marine biology included I'm I'm sure there's uh, some some specialist somewhere underwriting marine biologist work. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting yeah. that you say that uh, because yesterday we were talking about that and and you know the the insurance industry is, is nothing happens without insurance. I mean, nothing goes forward without insurance at the end of the day. So it, it, that is a cool part about it. How about you, Lorraine? Well, I started insurance when I was twenty one. It was my first job uh, when I moved to London, um, but I, I went straight into HR. I knew I liked people and I knew I wanted to work in business. Um, and insurance is very much a Absolutely. people business, right? So, um, you know, and I try, I, I worked for a number of years um, in Lloyd's Managing Agency and then um, mm. a carrier. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not quite 30 yet. I'm going to try some other industry. So I tried investment banking. I tried legal and guess what? Came back to insurance. <laughs> it's my home. I love it. I love the people. Um, and actually, all the skills I learned at that time in HR, um, I've put to use in um, in running this agency. So it's I lead the client side, the account management, the people side, the empathy, the understanding, but also the operational side and understanding those commercial pressures. And I think that's why the three of us work really well together is we each bring a different perspective to the client problem and and how to find the solution nice. for it. I so, love that. Yeah. Uh, and Lloyd's in your background. Well, they were a Lloyd's oh, managing agency. Okay. So, yeah, we had uh, – it was actually the largest Lloyd's managing agency at the time called Limit, um, the first one to top a billion oh, wow. under management. So, yeah, Impressive. it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Impressive backgrounds. Mm. Um, and as you're working in the, the agency space, um, and we're obviously talking about, we're talking to some insurance communicators and others, um, why is branding so important, especially for insurance companies um, and brokers? Particularly, but, you know, one reason is, is sometimes it's, um, it's not as sexy as some other industries, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy to understand 
for sure. But um, tell us a little bit about why you feel like branding is important based on the experience you've had in the industry. Yeah. So, you know, coming from outside of the industry uh, where you are dealing with tangible products, you know, when you're working with intangibles like financial products um, and more than that, interchangeable financial products, as a lot of insurance products are, um, that may provide a benefit you might never experience if you never make a claim. Um, and also has a sort of a background hum of anxiety about whether it'll pay out or not. Then what you're actually selling here mm-hmm. is trust. Is right. And uh, that's really the job. That's really the job of a brand is to build that trust. And so, you know, trust is also why the industry is so relationship driven, especially at a B2B level. Um, uh, but, you know, people move. And so the reason it's important is because if you as a brand or as a business want to keep your customers and attract customers independent of people movement, then, you know, that's why more and more are really focusing on building, you know, really strong brand with a great ethos and a great experience um, because they want to build that long-term uh, value uh, for their shareholders. Uh, and they know that actually, uh, you know, it's a combination of the work that the people do and the work that the brand does. And when those two things come together, you get a very, very powerful force. Very, very interesting. Um I mean, you bring up a couple of interesting things, and, and, and among them are the lookalike brands. You know, that's a, a real challenge, I think, in this industry is, you know, when you get into highly specialized things, marine biologists as an example, there's, there's probably still a handful of, of uh, carriers that, you know, that handle marine biologists. And how do you differentiate them uh, from each other when – the policies often are are very similar, if not mm. exactly the same. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah. so it's uh, it's a challenge in this industry for sure. Yeah, yeah it 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 um, and and it, there's a peculiar thing that goes on. I think Guy will talk about this a little bit more uh, later. Is that uh, often these businesses grow up, especially if they're uh, you know startup team or whatever. We so we deal with all levels of client from small startups, you know, a couple of teams, right up to uh, global businesses. Um, And when they're starting, they just want to fit in. They just want to be accepted. They just want to be part of. And so they adopt a very sort of insurance looking type feel and they try and say the things that make them fit in and actually fitting in the opposite of what you want to do when you're branding, when you're building a brand. So, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to a little bit more of that in a minute. Um, so as a segue, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen that companies have with brand building? Um, and Lorraine, do you want to take that question? Do you want to start? Yeah, I think, um, from a, you know, I work really closely with our clients in, in, in many ways, understanding their business, understanding their challenges. That's, that's very much, um, part of what I do. Uh, and what, what we see is really that getting the buy-in for brand building budget mm. is a, is a big, big challenge, right? Our clients are continually being asked to do more with less. They're in a really difficult position of competing 
with, you know, the commercial pressures of having to deliver now, now, now. We need to see, you know, the immediate impact. We need leads. We need sales. We need statistics um, versus how do we support that long term um, brand building goal? And, you know, so that's why working in partnership is so, is so important and just understanding you know what how to do more with less how what's going to deliver the biggest impact that's going to give you you know positive results for your organization and positive results for you as a marketer you know because it's your career your reputation that's on the line as well so i think it's you know how do how do we help you know getting that budget you know buy in and and making sure that the impact is delivered. Yeah, I, I would agree, Greg here. Um, I would agree with Lorraine because she's uh, usually right. Um, well, always. But um, uh, yeah, well, well it, I, I think one of the main culprits is uh, not culprits because that's the wrong word, but uh, it, I guess it's a legacy thing and it's a habitual thing. Um, but it's the 12 month mm. budget cycle is one of the key issues of for people looking to embark upon brand building because uh, there is within a 12-month budget cycle a more or less exclusive focus on the short-term metrics that you can justify the spend within that 12-month period. And brand building happens over years, not months. So if you're only ever focused on months, it's very difficult to start to build your brand. Um, So, you know, uh, we really... Uh, encourage our clients and, and some of them are able to do this, take it up to the top table and start to align their uh, marketing plans over a three to five year period uh, with the business plan that does have that three to five year trajectory because everybody's got a graph and it's always pointing upwards. But where are those future customers going to be coming from if you're not building to get your brand out there to meet them now? Um, because t- trust takes time to build, right? And um, and you've got to be speaking to people when they're not in the market for you uh, if you want to build that trust. So um, so it really does come down to adding that extra line uh, into the budget, uh, and it's not a small line. Uh, you know, the, the research done by uh, Les Burnett and Peter Field uh, says that for a B2B business, you're probably looking at 46% of your budget should be going on brand building uh, if you want to optimize marketing performance. And if you're a financial service brand, that number goes up to 80%. So obviously, you know, that financial service is a broad thing and banks would definitely be in that sector of spending 80%. Insurance is much more regular purchase. You don't move uh, bank very often. Um, so, you know, it's somewhere around the 50-50 split um, is where we think businesses should aim. Uh, and getting there takes, uh, you know, a, a level of commitment and ambition. Yeah. But, and I think I think also to, to that point, it's um, from, from, from a creative standpoint, um, I think it's really, really important, you know, talking earlier about how um, brands just look the same is, you know, how can we... Uh, get companies to understand how important it is to be different, you know, to stand out, you know, in, in, in an industry um, where we sell the same products, we offer the same sorts of things, you know, it's your brand and identity that can give you the edge, get people to notice you. Um, and almost, you know, your brand becomes the product, you know, that you sell. Um, and so understanding your values, what makes you different, what makes you unique, um, how you can, how can you stand out? How can you push the envelope? Um, 
uh, and, and not look like everyone else is, is, is super important, you know? And so for this um, risk averse industry, uh, ironically, uh, when it comes to building a brand, it's time to do the opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. Can I, mm-hmm. can I ask a sort of a follow-up question to Greg's response? Like how do you prepare brands companies to be able to allocate and justify that 46%. Mm. I mean, at the minimum, because I like, I agree with you, it's, it's expensive, but like even sort of small shops and brokers, like, you know, how do you prepare them um, for that? So what I would say is that there's sort of two types, or there's obviously a lot more than two types of businesses, but there are businesses that decide for themselves that they want to embark on this journey. And that, decision comes from uh you know a a strategic business decision and there is money uh created for that or money put aside for that budget put aside for that Um, and that's generally from board down uh and marketing may or may not be involved in that conversation Um, and then there are the ambitious marketers who know that this is the right way and need to convince a board Uh, There's a lot of evidence out there from the marketing academics that you can take to show, hey, when you do this, this is what happens. It's very difficult to measure those longer-term brand metrics uh, within a B2B space especially. Um, But, you know, trust in the process uh, is is sort of a hard sell (laughs) into an executive when you're trying to build a, a, a case for a budget. So what I would say is choose a line of business choose uh, 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 a division, choose something where you're going to do something different to what you normally do to try and build the attributes or build the um, the awareness of that business outside of the normal activity you do and then show how that works. And it might take 12, 24, 36 months to make the case, prove the case, but it's a journey that we're on. Uh, the other thing I would say is that the executives are much more alert to it now because of all the consolidation and PE-backed businesses. There have been some high-profile rebrands going on. So businesses are looking at these brands going, actually, you know, we need to up our game. We spoke about this a little bit earlier about um, brand building and the challenges of a brand. I know from a, from the IMCA Ignite conference you had a very nice, uh, well-received session called what, um, like stick your brand in their brains. Like, what is this concept? So, yeah, absolutely, Natasha. The thing is, it turns out that what drives brand growth is just two things, mental availability and physical availability. And, And this comes from how brands grow from Byron Sharp. And so translated, uh, what that means is how easily your brand is recalled and how easy you are to buy from. And our work really focuses on the first bit, right? We can't do much as an agency to influence uh, how easy your brand is to buy from. So we focus on that first bit, uh, how easy your brand is recalled. Um, So how do you get your brand to stick in people's brains is the question, so that when they have a need for what you offer, they think of you. Because you know, before anybody opens a search browser and starts wondering uh, how you know, how to answer a particular question that they've got, they consult their brain. Their brain is the shortcut. And if we kind of got this confirmation bias where if our brain gives us an answer to a question we've asked, we believe it and we think it's a really smart answer. So um, people don't like to spend much more energy than they need to. 
So if we've asked the question about how do I solve this particular problem I have and our brain says, hey, call free partners, you're probably not going to look at that much further. You might think of one or two others, but you've already created your shortlist. You're not going to be looking for uh, so our, our, our brain search engine ranking is sort of top two, three spots. And that's where you need to be. So that's what we did. We, we, we drew from uh, the marketing academics uh, at Ehrenberg Bass Institute from uh, Peter Field and Les Burnett in, in their uh, book, The Long and the Short of It, and from some of the work that's uh, in Mark Ritson's mini MBA in marketing. We, we sort of distilled it all down to give everybody a shortcut of how to get that mental availability, that brand in the brain. We'll see it. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Are you looking to take your company's growth to the next level? Look no further than OneFire, the RevOps-focused marketing agency that specializes in helping insurance companies grow. Our expert team of strategists, marketers, and HubSpot specialists will help you optimize your marketing efforts and maximize your ROI. From lead generation to conversion and retention, OneFire has you covered with our deep insurance industry expertise and modern approach to growth. Don't let your competitors leave you in the dust. Ignite your growth with OneFire. Visit us today at onefire.com. Okay, so so Greg, um, what are what are the four main brand building tips? At the top, we've got memory triggers, which is really about associating your brand with a particular buying scenario, um, because it's very difficult to be the first brand to come to mind. Because generally, in every category, there are much bigger brands than you. So, how do you own a particular space? So that's the first thing we focus on. The next is distinctiveness, which is about those brand assets that you can really own and milk over years and years and years so that you become instantly recognizable. The next is about applying high levels of creativity to your work so that it stands out in the market. And creativity actually saves you budget because you don't need to buy as much media because the creativity buys the attention of your audience. And then finally, it's about presence. It's about being there the whole time. Uh, raising your share of voice in the market in order to raise your share of market, if you like. Uh, I don't know if I said that right. I'm going to say it again. Raising your share of voice in the market compared to your competitors so that you then raise your share of market. And that that's a linear, um, almost linear uh, relationship between share of voice and share of market. So the more you're out there, the bigger you'll be. Um, so those are the four things you need, the, the, the presence, the creativity, the distinctiveness, and the memory triggers. Lorraine, why does this approach work, you think? I think really it's because it, it addresses both of um, the, the challenges that marketers are facing, right? You know, being uh, distinctive, being ever-present, um, you know, gives you uh, some immediate results, but also supports that long-term growth. And, you know, it, it, it's rooted in decades of, uh, of marketing science. So it's not just made up. It's not just, you know, the mess of the proposition and the messaging and, and, and it's just not the coloring in, which Guy said earlier. It's, it, you know, it's putting it all together to make a. Don't knock it. <laughs> I would never, <laughs> but it makes, you know, carving out your place in the world um, and using it in a way that we know through all the marketing research works effectively. And, and that's really what this, um, this idea is about is kind of getting all of this knowledge and creativity and harnessing it 
to build yourself, you know, your your great brand that will stick in people's brains um, and deliver the ro- results for your business. That, and is that, that how we measure brand success is the increased customers, increased engagement? Like, is there a good way to be able to measure a successful brand or what we've done is successful? There are many, many ways, I think, of measuring this. I mean, we were having a conversation last night um, interestingly about uh you know a market survey and how um you know brokers perceived someone's brand and and that was um you know it's qualitative research it's talking to the people who you want you you want your brand to be memorable to and that's really the best the best way the voice of the customer who that that's to me, that's the best measure of, of brand. Yes, you know, website statistics, LinkedIn statistics, obviously growth and sales um, are important. Um, but ultimately, what we're seeing, particularly in, in our industry, is that we have to be customer centric. And that customer might be your retail broker, they might be the end insured, they might be, you know, your capacity provider. But to build to build your brand effectively, you've got to you know understand what it is that they need, what they and and make sure you're you're, you're getting those category entry points uh, locked in, getting it to be distinctive, being ever present in their mind, um, and and being a brand that they can you know believe in it. and trust. I love it, and I know to your point, there's multiple multiple ways to 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 be able to sort of measure that brand success um, and the effectiveness of your strategy. But Lauren, I agree. Just how is it resonating with your customers? And, and, and that's something that's anecdotal that we can have conversations with our customers just to find out. So I agree. I agree. I, I, we have loved this conversation. I love you three together. <laughs> yeah. A very nice trio. I love the fact that you have um, encouraged us to to expand the podcast to three. I don't know if we could do four. I think this is it. Three was a challenge for me and Jim. Yeah. <laughs> but you handle it so <laughs> nicely. Um, very eloquently, your responses were. But if our listeners are interested in connecting with either Greg Guy or my friend Lorraine, what's the best way for, for them to, to reach out to to free partners or each of you individually? It's really easy. We've kept our email addresses really straightforward and simple. It's our first name with at freepartners.com. Um, you know, check out the website. You can get in touch with us there or just email us directly. We'd love we'd love to hear from you. Guy normally says, like and subscribe. <laughs> he, took, like and subscribe. <laughs> he took the words right out of your mouth, Guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, this has been a yeah. fun, fun conversation and very informative. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Natasha. The Peer to Peer Podcast is a presentation of IMCA. To learn more about today's episode and listen to other episodes, visit imcanet.com. This has been a production of One Fire.